Break the Chains 2018, presented by Mike Seibert Radio in conjunction with Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking. It will take a community effort to eliminate human trafficking. We invite you to join us. My name is Mike Seibert, and thank you for downloading this podcast. Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking, or FEDCAT, is a group of committed individuals that educates and engages our community so that each person can play a role in ending human trafficking. But it's the stories that make what we do important. During this podcast, you'll hear the voices of two incredibly brave and strong women as they share their stories from a parent's perspective and from a survivor's perspective, dispelling some of the myths and perceptions about human trafficking being a victimless crime. We also talk about the recent government seizure of Backpage.com and about how you can help us raise awareness and prevent human trafficking. And before the interview, I'd like to mention upcoming events in Federal Way where you can get involved directly. Help us break the chains of human trafficking in our community by enjoying a delicious meal at Black Bear Diner on April 24th. It's a Tuesday. In addition to helping raise awareness for this issue in our community, FedCat representatives, myself included, will be there to provide information and to register interested patrons in the 6th annual Break the Chains 5K Awareness and Walk. 15% of the day's proceeds will benefit Federway Coalition Against Human Trafficking. The Break the Chains 5K event will be held on Saturday, May 19th at the Commons Mall in Federway starting at 9.30. Handmade signs, strollers, and leashed pets are welcome. For more information, visit the FedCat website, fwcat.org. And now, Diane Zorro and Jennifer Tucker. My name is Diane Zorro, and I am one of the founding members of the Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking. Um, in 2011, I was approached by Brenda Oliver uh, to help found this coalition. Um, and the reason she asked me, and, and one of the reasons I, I know that it was an important issue for her to address, is because of my daughter, Danica. Um, who Brenda knew through Danica's father, not through me. We were virtual strangers, really, um, Brenda and I were. But in 2007, my daughter Danica just disappeared. And um, it was very abrupt. Um, no history of running away, no indication that she would just up and disappear a few days before Christmas. And when she did, you know, I, she just disappeared and, and we didn't know where she was and we were searching and looking for any kind of clue, it started to become clear that she was, had been involved in prostitution. Um, that's how I would have put it then. It's a way, you know, that I don't like that word prostitution, but it is something people know what I'm talking about, but really she was being sexually exploited, which I soon came to realize. But at first, I just couldn't believe um, that that's what had happened to my daughter. And even realizing that that was probably what happened, that she was being sexually exploited, um, it didn't account for why she would suddenly disappear unless it was against her will. 
she was 17 and a half um, at the time and some people might say she was choosing to do what she you know but under 18 you really can't under the law you can't and I believe the mental capacity of a 17 year old it's not a willing knowing a bit you know she she didn't know what she was doing it would but what was startling to me as we were continuing to search for her and driving up and down Pacific Highway all days of the or all times of the day and night looking for her and I started looking at the girls that were out there and it was just astonishing to me how young they were mm -hmm. it really surprised me um, and I, I saw girls that I knew I saw a girl who was about 12 that had grown up with my youngest daughter um, and she was out there um, and I've since come to learn that here right here in Federal Way there's a large group of kids at least Danica's age mm -hmm. I, I don't know so much right now I don't have children that are teenagers right now um, but there's a large group that became involved in this issue that either are currently in Vegas have you know go back and forth to Vegas there are girls I learned about girls whose parents were involved um, and so the they were following kind of the their mother's footsteps um, and and still are to this day so I know several girls that are around 26 27 um, that are very involved in this um, and it just, uh, I started then to do more and more research, learning what the scope of it was, and it became clear to me early on that it was really the demand that was driving this mm -hmm. whole thing. It's the buyers, the people. Yeah. If there's no demand, then you're not going to have these younger and younger girls all the time yeah. being sold. Um, and that kind of leads me into this whole thing current thing about Backpage.com which yeah. has been in the news a lot mm -hmm. and you know the basically been shut down and many other websites are that are similar are also shutting down at least temporarily until they can get a handle on what their responsibility is um, so that overall is extremely positive I mean it's something a lot of us have been wanting for a long time to get these sites shut down um, but on the other hand the fact that I know girls who are, this is their livelihood right now, I don't know how that's going to impact them. Mm -hmm. Because it may impact their ability to survive. Mm -hmm. um, and that might be something Jennifer will speak mm -hmm. to as well. But, um, but I also know that there are um, groups and support systems for those girls and women. And the men that are involved too because it's known that this might happen you know mm -hmm. that they don't know they can't get a job they can't um, right. they don't have another way to earn money so there are trading opportunities and um, other help for them I know that the national hotline um, human trafficking hotline mm -hmm. has a list of those so um, so since I'll backtrack a little bit you know since we started the coalition and I'll clarify right now I'm not one of the most active members I have other family issues that have taken me away but it is still my passion and you know the work that the coalition is doing is just amazing in bringing the awareness 
to this issue um, and given me an ability to connect with other parents who have found me through the coalition or through speaking engagements I've done that are going through the same thing. You know, now my daughter is still missing, so it's been 10 years. Mm. And um, I really never ever thought we'd get to this point that I haven't seen her or heard from her. Um, a lot of the parents that I've talked to and, and helped, their daughters have come home. So they have, you know, more or less happy endings. Some are still struggling, but their daughters are home and they know where they are. Um, but my whole goal and passion through this has been to prevent another family going through the complete loss of a child. Oh, thank you. I just, <laughs> I want to cry. Um, my name is Jennifer Tucker, and I'm actually a survivor from the industry. Um, how I came in to contact with the Federal Coalition Against Trafficking is um, I was actually staying in one of those crummy motels um, on the side of Pacific Highway, and mm -hmm. I had just, you know, made enough money to move to a, a better hotel. So I had packed up all my stuff, and I was just sitting right at that little cafe right there waiting for my ride to come and I saw all these people with these bright green t-shirts walking up and down the street holding these signs and the one that drew me is um, one that had a barcode on it saying I'm not for sale and then one that said you are loved and so I walked up you know in my little short shorts and my knee-high boots to a couple of the ladies and asked them what they were doing when they explained it to me you know it brought me to tears and um, I, you know, just explained who I was, and they're like, oh, we need a voice like you, and I, you know, told them I couldn't be involved right now. Having my foot in the industry, it would be pretty hypocritical, and um, I just hoped that one day I would be in a place where I could be actively involved, you know, in the fight against the industry, so. Um, could you elaborate on that a little more in uh, transitioning from uh, from the life from the industry into uh, uh, more where you are now that is probably uh, one of the hardest experiences I would say even harder than being stuck in the industry mm -hmm. um, transitioning out of the industry has leaves you with a lot of questions uh, like what are you gonna do you know I know uh, you had mentioned about uh, having prostitution on your record. I've got numerous uh, prostitution charges. And I mean, finding a job is really difficult. Finding any type of housing or help is really difficult. Um, I was at the point to where I had alienated myself from my family. I had no friends. I mean, I lived a pretty lonely life for nearly 10 years. No friends, no connections. So, like, getting out of the life willingly there were zero options for me um and it pretty much took me down to um, getting arrested and doing a little bit of time and while i was in um this is of course after i had contact with the, the coalition but um it was about six 
seven months afterwards. You know, I, I, I had to do like six months and while I was in there, there was another group of women um, called Esteem where they came in and they did um, chaplain services three days a week. And through my connections with them and then um, I got in contact with Emily Elrath after about a month or two after my release. But through my connections with them, you know, they kind of just have all locked arms with me and helped me through the transition process. It hasn't been easy. I mean, it takes work, you know, um, but I had just gotten to the such a desperate point. Like, there was nothing to my life, really. I wanted to die. <laughs> and um, it was it was kind of like there, there wasn't any further down that I could go, so... But without those relationships, I think that's what it's really come down to. Is there's not, it's not really a, a specific service, more or less the relationships, the constant relationship that I've had with the women that have helped me um, stay out of the industry. Um, what would you say to folks that uh, could potentially be in the situation that you were uh, prior to getting uh, uh, with the I think a lot of girls stay trapped in the industry out of loneliness and I know it's hard for people to understand and grasp that but there's some sense of belonging and um, it gives you a sense of feeling needed mm -hmm. um, I know mine's my um, deep sense of loneliness stemmed from a lot of childhood abuse and seeking, you know, relationships and just one bad relationship after the other. Mm -hmm. And finally, I met somebody that needed me for something. It really didn't matter what it was. Um, when you leave that, there's a big fear. Like, I've, I've struggled with that even still, um, of feeling lonely and not needed. Um, just because, I mean, I'm single. I've been single for two years. I mean, it's great. But then it's just like, is anybody ever going to want me, you know? And I'm, I'm afraid to get into a relationship because of the things that I feel that I'll, I have to do. And I think a lot of girls, um, young and old, um, stay trapped in those situations just because if they were to break away, who would want them, you know? Um, and, I mean, it's important that's why relationship was so important. I mean, you can throw services at people all you want to. Mm -hmm. You can provide them a home. You can provide them a job. But if they don't feel wanted and needed, mm -hmm. none of that really matters. So, uh, One of the things that, that on this journey that I, I've kind of been on, this, this discovery of this, because, I mean, I, I was one of those folks that very much had their head in the sand and had really no idea that one this was so prevalent but um, also just so prevalent in our communities in our schools you know these are our kids um, I, I just had no idea so so one of, one of the things that that I'm trying to do with this in raising uh, the awareness and helping the coalition uh, uh, raise awareness is is dispelling myths and and misconceptions um, could you speak to the, you know, myths and misconceptions that, that folks might have, you know, about like perhaps the, the glamorous life or, you know, how, how, however else you'd like to... There's a couple of myths that I would <laughs> love to dispel. One is it can never happen to me. I mean, I was raised 
For the first seven years of my life, I went through a lot of, of uh, childhood abuse and trauma, living with my mother and a horrible godfather. At seven, I went and lived with my father, and he was very protective. I was homeschooled. We were uh, five-day-a-week church-going family. I mean, I wasn't exposed to a lot of things. However, because of that prior trauma it instilled, I mean, that's pretty much where I got my grooming from. And um, I love my father, love my stepmother. They're great people. However, I went, what, 11 years with an untreated problem. Um, so, you know, all that trauma, it doesn't just disappear for one. You know, it stays there. And the longer it stays there, it becomes, you know, it becomes ingrained in you and a part of you, and it's harder to overcome. So I think, you know, one, parents really need to be more attentive to what's going on in their children's lives. And um, we just had an experience where there was a young girl, her parents were divorced, but you know, they were church people and she was a quiet girl. And next thing you know, um, I'm getting a phone call from the pastor's wife saying she's gone. You know, her father was asleep. She packed up her stuff while her dad was asleep and responded to a marriage proposal um, to some guy in South Korea. And, you know, she had managed at 18, senior in high school, you know, she's a very quiet girl, but she had managed to get her passport, her travel tourist visa, and got a ticket, got an Uber, made all these arrangements, and ended up in Seoul, Korea. Now, when I was talking to the mom, um, the questions that I asked were, is she a loner? you know, is she a quiet person? And she's like, yeah, she doesn't have many friends. She's on the internet a lot, you know, like the Comic-Con type, you know, uh, websites. And my thing is, is that's the first sign that something is happening because as people, we're designed for community. We're designed to have relationships. And if we're not getting that, you know, even if it's just a couple of friends, if we're not getting that, naturally our natural makeup is going to make us it's going to force us to search elsewhere for it so um, i think that parents really need to be active i mean and and i mean a lot of parents are active and they're just not knowing what they're seeing so that's the great thing about the coalition is they're raising awareness on those signs of this i'm not saying those were bad parents because i mean honestly i mean i wouldn't even if i hadn't gone through this experience myself and now i can look back with an with an educated perspective, I wouldn't know, you know. Um, yes, and thank you for uh, saying we're not all bad parents. No. <laughs> um, because that's true. And like with my daughter, um, I was involved and we had a good relationship. But as you alluded to, there were things that I didn't know mm -hmm. what I was seeing. And I think in some ways my mind just wouldn't go that route yeah. um, because it became clear later. She knew several pimps. I had met them. This yeah, was kind cool. of the crowd she was hanging out with at that time. Um, and although Jennifer makes really good points and that is kind of the norm, the, the loner and so forth, Danica wasn't a loner. Mm -hmm. She was very, in fact, passing out flyers. People would say, I know her. I remember her. She worked at Papa Murphy's. You know, she they knew yeah. her from school. Everybody knew her, and she was so beautiful. But that was part of the problem for her because, again, there was this large group of, of kids that were, you know, seniors in high school that were involved in this. So it was the people that she had, in many cases, grown up with. 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't so much internet. What I've seen since that time with um, especially my youngest daughter is yes, I've seen more of the internet or the um, kind of getting lured online thing, but my experience has been more with people I actually knew. I mean, one of the yeah. boys that I learned was a pimp. Um, he used to come to our house when, when my daughter was in middle school, and he was in middle school. He was her friend. I mean, I knew him for many years, and I did not have a clue. Yeah. It's a, it's a really big trend in uh, that group. Um, I know that may not be able to tell by looking at me now, but <laughs> there was a time when I was, you know, affiliated with some local gang and um it's a big thing you know you got the drug dealers the guys are drug dealers they're hustlers and they're this and for a girl you want to be cool too and you want to fit in yeah. and you hustle you know and the more money you make the more power you have the more recognition you have and regardless if it's your money or not you know it's cool and especially for young girls it's glamorized i yeah. mean like i went to california and that's how i got in the game and man ladies of leisure, women of the night, we're going to go to Vegas, we're going to do this, and I mean, you know, got cars with gator interior, what, meanwhile, you're stuck in some hotel, you know, you're stuck in some hotel going to the top to bottom store, picking up 15 to $20 slinky shirts, and you have nothing to show for it, you know, you can't send money home to your kids, you don't realize this until they already get you reeled in, and they get you thinking loyalty, I mean, loyalty is royalty, I'm sure you've heard kind of it's a popular term, and, you know, you want to do anything and everything to be that top writer, you know, that main that mean girl, trying not to use the foul <laughs> language, but you know, and once you get there, you're like, okay, I have arrived, and then that's when it all gets snapped out from underneath you. And back to your initial question about myths, and one of the ones I would like to dispel is that it's not just young girls under 18 mm-hmm. that are victims. Yeah. Um, if this had happened to my daughter at age 21, I would consider her just as much of a, a victim. Um, because it is, it's manipulation, it's lies, it's, you know, eventually, if not at the beginning, turns into threats. Um, and I know, uh, since I haven't seen my daughter for so long, I don't know what threats she's had. I can only assume, but I know my other daughters did get threats. Um, I can't be real specific about those, and right. sometimes we didn't really know what they were, but it just happened after my daughter disappeared. So. Um, they would just get random phone calls or we had people that played tricks on us and said they had knowledge about my missing daughter and tried to lure my other daughter mm-hmm. um, to a location because you know her sister would be there. So um, it, it gets very complicated and you find yourself in a world that you just didn't know as a parent, you just didn't know existed because I was like you, my head was in the sand. And I had a very rude awakening. I was in my 30s when I actually, I mean, I was first introduced when I was 18, 19, but I was just too shy and too naive to actually be any profit to them. But, you know, I was introduced to it most heavily in my early 30s, and it came right after the loss of two of my children. They were taken to Brazil and never returned, and then um, the loss of my son's father, you know. And I was in such a vulnerable state, like, I mean, watching someone 
die. I mean, he was, like, taken from me and losing your children. Like, I literally lost my mind. And so um, that's when they connected with me and um, just sold me on this dream. You're, you're such a strong woman. I'll take care of you, you know. And I was at such a desperate place. I didn't even have a level head to even process any of it. I mean, I, I really didn't. I didn't care and they really pray and they look and they're so smart like they know exactly what the we I wouldn't be able to just look at someone and be like oh she's broken and da, 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 da. but they are so smart I mean they actually have manuals out yeah. that teach them and movies and books that teach them what to look for what verbiage to look for how are they standing I mean they would be amazing psychologists <laughs> seriously and they read all of that stuff and they watch you and then they go in for the kill so and they're patient I mean this guy worked on me for like two and a half months super patient super patient and once you're in you're in I mean it ended where I was working independently Kind of. I sure. mean, okay. where I, I was in relationships where I handed over the money because that's just what I was so used to. But it comes to a point where you're not even forced to do it anymore because it's just so ingrained in a part of you. It's just natural. You know, you don't, you don't have any rights. You accept the fact that you are just. So, so um, a lot of what we've talked about earlier was, you know, there, there's obviously uh, the larger component of the problem here is the demand side, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, more or less, I, I don't know what the answers are, but it seems like there's 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 two sides of it. There's there's the, the demand side, but then there's also just the level of organization that these uh, pimps and traffickers and all that, and I'm not sure what the answers are. What, uh, what do you guys think? Mm. Well, I think a lot of the answer you know, it plays into th this whole Me Too movement and women's empowerment. And women have been um, considered weaker and less than for a very long time. And a lot of men, and they may not, I believe that a lot of men don't even, they don't even think about it in terms of this person is less than. But mm -hmm. it's in the language that's used. I mean, I have two grandsons that live with me now and even at seven years old some of the things I hear it's like no wait a minute <laughs> why is why are you saying she's weaker than you are or you're calling your brother a female you know name because or you're you want people to think you're a girl well what's wrong with being a girl you know we're just as strong so it becomes and it's been going on for centuries it, mm -hmm. so that's what ultimately where it has to be fought and won, I think. And it's starting at very young ages, which I know, you know, I, like I said, I have grandsons there in preschool and in school, and they are starting to teach these things to kids, but it's still so prevalent. You put your kids on a sports key team, you know, boys, and same thing. What do you, what do you hear? What do I hear sometimes is, you know, don't, you're running like a girl. Get out there and, or she's a girl. Why didn't you beat her? Yeah. And they seem innocuous, but they're not. Right. It just boils down to, I mean, it really is going to start the core. It's going to start with raising awareness on every level. I mean, it's going to start with raising awareness in our communities of um, empowering our girls that they 
that they can't be dominated in any way. Um, it's gonna be raising awareness in our communities for men that are potential sex buyers to be like, look, what am I doing? You know, because some of them really have no clue. Some of them are just lonely. And, but I mean, you know, the vast majority of them, when you're in those situations, the things that they say to you and the way that they treat you, once that money is exchanged, you literally have no rights to fight against that. So, you know, I think with that Me Too movement, a lot of survivors have been excluded from that um, movement. Um, I know that there's a, a big community, Elisa Bernard has um, also talked about it, about uh, including survivors in that, because each time you are in that situation with a sex buyer, you're being you know, sexually assaulted, and it just comes down to raising awareness, you know, uh, treating women as equals and, you know, empowering women and respecting them for the creation that they are. Absolutely. Um, at this point, like, uh, could you both talk about some of the uh, community work you've done? Like, I, I know uh, you mentioned, uh, both have mentioned earlier that you've done like speaking engagements and other things in the community. Could uh, um, could you elaborate on that some? Uh, well, for me, it's mostly been through the coalition, mm -hmm. and um, that's where I found my voice to put mm -hmm. out, and then, uh, you know, been asked to speak through the coalition, and then also separately at at a large fundraiser for stolen youth several years ago. That was the biggest thing I've done, which was 750 people, and it was terrifying. Uh, but it's really been the passion and getting the coalition off the ground and things like starting our 5K, because um, that idea of 2,000 people walking down Pacific Highway in front of the motels that Jennifer was talking about, and there's several in a, in a strip there, but that's a place where it's known to happen. So that idea of getting people out there and raising that awareness by people seeing so many bodies in bright t-shirts and saying, hey, what's going on? Wait a minute, you mean this happens here? Um, yeah, and, and what's most gratifying to me is the personal connections that I've made, again, with um, parents and people that I've been able to uh, help um, my life has been on a whirlwind this past year. <laughs> um, since the last 5K, I had my story released with King 5. Um, I actually had a journalist following me through the 5K last year. Um, I'm also actively involved in an outreach ministry called Esteem Ministries, and we do a lot of, um, we're more focused on the personal relationships. We do a strip club outreach. We do bikini barista outreaches. Um, we also have connection with a lot of girls in jail. Um, a lot of parents, actually we had a parent from Colorado reach us um, in regards to their daughter that's in the industry. And, you know, they, they use me as a go-to to try to be the relationship with the actual girl because, I mean, it takes, you know, it takes a long time to get somebody out of the lifestyle but it also takes somebody that has that relatability um i teach a class on saturdays for a lot of women that are that have um history in the industry and um, that are new in recovery or just out of jail it's kind of just a, a 
just kind of a group where they can come and um, not feel awkward. Because sometimes it's awkward to go to a big church and you just feel like you don't fit in, you're not good enough. And so in my class, I just try to help these women realize that they're, we're just like everybody else. Um, I'm actually going to be like a speaker at this year's 5K, which is terrifying. Not <laughs> <laughs> that bad. But a few months back, I had the the great honor of testifying um, with with um, Eric Bauer and a couple of his clients before the committee in Olympia um, in regards to Backpage. So I kind of, you know, popped my collars mm-hmm. a little bit, saying that I had TV, even though it was like maybe a millifraction, but. <laughs> with the, the whole back page process. I mean, I'm really excited about it. It's a bittersweet. You were mentioning um, how it's it's definitely going to shift things for the industry. But on that same note, I my perspective is we'll see it go back more towards old-fashioned. Like, the streets have been cleaned up. Like, girls don't like the streets like they used to, and they've kind of gone in hiding, and it's been so good for the traffickers because they can just keep it all under cover. Now it's, I think it'll push them in, out of the woodwork and we'll see them starting to walk the streets again, which I mean, it's more dangerous. Yes, but it'll give us, you know, now that the communities are more aware that, you know, law enforcement is more aware and they're taking more of a compassionate stance against it that, um, Maybe we'll see more communities and more out ministries be more vigilant and helping them. Because I know when I started there, it just, I never had any contact with anybody saying, hey, let me help you, you know, yeah. years ago. So. So if folks wanted to uh, connect with you in some of the uh, various things you were talking about earlier, is there, um, are there websites or, or places folks can go to learn more about some of those resources? Like Esteem Outreach, they are on um, Facebook as Esteem. Um, it's Esteem Ministries through Life Center Church. So let's um, um, let's talk about the 5K some more because this is the this is the sixth year, and. Um, I, uh, this will be my first year participating, um, so I, I haven't had the opportunity to have that experience to be, you know, a part of that. Could, uh, could both of you speak to that, kind of that, that feeling of being part of that community and just kind of how, I, I'm sure it's gone through evolutions from when it started to where we're at now, and maybe, uh, uh maybe speak on that some if you, well, the evolution, because I know I've been there every year, and uh, Jennifer hasn't, but mm. I think she'll be there for every year, every from, year now from now on. <laughs> um, you know, we started with, I think, 200 participants the first year, and we weren't on Pacific Highway. We were started at Celebration Park and went down First Avenue and, I think, 336. I didn't actually walk it that year. I okay. was busy speaking and doing, you know, meet and greet and sure. <laughs> all that kind of thing. But... Now we're at the uh, Commons Mall next to the Farmer's Market, and it's amazing. I mean, uh, last year, about a 1,000. So this year, we really would like to get 2,000, and that's very ambitious, but I think it's doable. But it's the vibe that is there, and people, I mean, they're there 
for a purpose. They want to bring this awareness. And, you know, we provide sign-making materials, and they can make signs to carry that's, you know, anything against trafficking. Um, and the speakers that we've had have been amazing. So uh, it's just an energy that's there. I can't really describe it. Of course, I'm in a more unique place, too, but um, it, it's really amazing, and I've found it gratifying. Um, I don't really have much to say mm -hmm. from inside, just because, like she said, I'm, I'm new to it, but I, I, I have more of an encouragement for the people that are involved. A lot of people like to see results. Am I yeah. making a difference? And, I mean, if I can be anything for the 5K, I can be proof that it does make a difference. I mean, maybe you might not see the immediate results, but if one person, if if 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000 people can be an influence to take one person out of the life, it's worth it's worth it, you know. Um, I think that um, a lot of people can be discouraged by that, and I just want to be an encouragement to tell people to keep walking. I mean, keep walking because even if even if you know you never find out about it, you know those planting of the seeds, letting somebody know that you love yeah. them, letting someone know that there is hope and that there is care, and even letting the community know that this is happening right there. And let me tell you, when that walk was happening, business was interrupted. So I mean, you gave girls like a couple <laughs> hours of like total peace, like that little pool place like nobody was pulling in there to go and do a dates during those few hours like it disrupted and shifted all of PEC I mean if that's if you only give two hours of relief for the industry that's two hours well worth a walk you know so and I have to say we took flyers into that business that you just mentioned no. and that was an interesting experience oh I would love to bring they took flyers the flyers they took time. the flyers I don't know if they posted them but <laughs> I, I would love to be the one to be like hey they know me <laughs> I, 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 love, I, I, I love the the, the empowerment of it and, and it's uh, it it's easy to volunteer when you've got a bunch of friends mm -hmm. and and it's and it's easy to stand up for something when you got a bunch of friends yeah so that's uh, and, and I think that's definitely what we're trying to do here you know uh, uh, awareness through education and just standing up and standing strong um, ladies this has been an absolute uh, uh, pleasure thank you so much for sharing your stories uh, before uh, uh, before we close out here is there uh, any uh, uh, final thoughts parting words um, anything you'd like to share that we may not have covered yet as a survivor, I just want to say thank you. Um, it means a lot to have people that don't have any personal connection to the industry to actually have an interest in um, and a passion to end it. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you to you and thank you to the Federal Coalition. So, yeah, thanks for saying that. That I echo the same yeah. thing. Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah. You're very welcome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Break the Chains 2018 is a presentation of Mike Seibert Radio in conjunction with Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking. It will take a community effort to eliminate human trafficking. We invite you to join us. How can you help? Volunteer. 
Use your unique skills and talents to raise awareness and further the fight against human trafficking. Speak up. Use your voice to influence and strengthen legislation. Learn. Educate yourself and share your knowledge with others. Donate. Use your resources to help prevent future cases of human trafficking. For more information, including registration for the Break the Chains of Human Trafficking 5K on May 19, 2018, check out Federal Way CAT on Facebook or go to the website www.fwcat.com. Thank you.